Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Chapter 12 and verse number 1. Wednesday night, I spoke to you from the subject about the things God hates. The things God hates. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the things God loves. And uh, not just to play on words, but I want to speak about the things that God loves. I said last Wednesday night in uh, regard to some of the things that we've been preaching and teaching on for several weeks now, that if you only hear with just one side of your hearing or only see with one eye, you're going to hear or see the things that we're preaching against. But I'm asking you to open both eyes because it's not so much what we're preaching against, it's what we're preaching for. And if we will embrace righteousness, amen, we will release unrighteousness from our lives. Praise God. And so... I'm, I'm praying that the Lord will help us. And so tonight as we talk about the things that the Lord loves, I ask this word to find a place in my heart as well as yours. Proverbs 12 and 1, the Bible says, Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. I hope I never over my desire to learn. I want to be a constant learner. Not, I mean, I, certainly about things, naturally we want to be learners and stay open-minded, but, but certainly about the things of the Word of God. I want to let my spirit be open to His Word. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you, and you can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor to His Word. And so let's consider tonight the things that God loves. As we consider human relationships, we understand that human relationships develop mainly, they are centered around common likes and dislikes. And so while I would certainly preach and teach against and instruct against cliques being in the church, there are people that have common interests that draw them together, and there's a world of difference between those two things. But so human relationships mature and develop many times centered around common likes and dislikes. And so is our relationship with God. We must center around the likes and the dislikes. And so as we grow closer to the Lord, we understand some of the things that the Lord would like or some of the things that would the Lord would not like, things that would be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord or things that would be displeasing in the eyes of the Lord. And so I'm thankful tonight to know that there have been times in my life, and I'm only testifying, I believe there are others here that could say, that you have felt when you were involved in something that was just displeasing to the Lord. Is that fair enough to say? Maybe not just out and out sin. I think we would know if we were robbing a bank, that would probably be a little bit out of line. There have been times I just felt like this probably isn't pleasing to the Lord. And so I'm just going to kind of let go of this and I'm going to step away from that. And so as that only comes through relationship. That comes through time. Those things are developed. And so as we grow closer to the Lord, we understand more about the things that, that, that the Lord would like or the things that would be displeasing in his sight. And so an awareness to those likes and dislikes causes us to alter our behavior and our responses. And so we begin to change habits and actions in our lives to conform to the behavior that is in harmony with the presence and the Spirit of God. And certainly by default, that would be in harmony with the Word of God. And so if we are going to have any success in living for God, 
And tonight, this is what our Wednesday night services are all about. We call our Wednesday night services Light for Living, not to just have a title, but we truly think that we are going to come and gather around the center of God's Word and get some light shining in our lives to figure out how to live for God. Because it's not just what we do on Sunday or Wednesday, it's, but it's all those in-between times. And so we need some light for living. And so if we're going to have any success in living for the Lord, then I not only need to understand how to hate the things that are displeasing to God, but I also want to fall in love with the things that God loves. In all honesty, this can be a struggle for many, many people because it's not difficult to recognize and hate the things that God hates. And it's also not real difficult to recognize the things that God loves. But the challenge that comes to our lives, that is presented to us, is whenever we begin to recognize that many of the things that God loves involves people. Amen, I kind of come in the back door on you with that one, didn't I? It's not easy to recognize those things, but it's a little greater challenge to realize that the things that God loves is centered around people. And sometimes people can be difficult. I don't know if you recognize that or not. But sometimes every now and then, just a few days a week, people can be difficult. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Now watch this. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Amen. So let's not read that passage too fast and then just skip right on to the next order of business. Because the second half of that verse, the writer directly correlates our being born of God and our knowing God to having the ability to love. Amen. I'm not talking about loving when it's easy to love, but love when it's difficult to love. And so this helps us to realize that if we're going to really know God, then we have to recognize and embrace the things that God loves. Now, it would be impossible. I would never think that I would be bright enough to cover all the things that God loves in a lifetime, much less in one Bible study. So this evening, I'm just going to address a few key points that I think God loves, and many of these are centered around principles, and I think other things are born out of these three, and so it's not an, even an attempt to give you an exhaustive list. But for the purpose of laying a foundation, I want us to consider some things that God loves. First off, God loves people. And if we're going to be what God wants us to be as a church, then we must be a church that loves people, not just those that are easy to love, not those where love just comes natural. But sometimes we got to make that provision in our life to love as God loves. There's no scripture in all the word of God that would illustrate this point any better than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But it would be a, it would be a woeful thing to only stop at verse number 16 because verse number 17 just seems to countersink that point. The Bible says in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so if God hated people, if God hated people, he would have condemned all of humanity and offered no means of salvation. But that's not what we find in the Lord. I mean, it should be clear that God loves people. And I want to be very distinct tonight when I tell you that God loves all people. God has never been, nor will he ever be, subject to biases, subject to prejudices that people have toward one another. That is not the God that I serve. Amen. Acts 10 and 34, the Bible says, And Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He loves us all. Amen. I'm glad that the church is not a club because that's only fun when you're in the in crowd. It's not fun when you're in the out crowd. And so the church is not a club. And God does not have any biases, no prejudices. And so when we look at that in the heart of God, then I need to find that reflected in my heart. 
that plainly tells us that God loves everyone equally. He doesn't love me more because I'm a preacher. Amen. He loves all of us. He loves all of us equally. So if we love the things that God loves, then I must develop a love for all people and all people equally. If we think about it, civil wars, world wars, even family wars have all occurred because of someone's inability to accept someone or something else. And so when I think about that, I think the great tragedies that have befallen our world and our nation and even on a more centered front, our own families. But I am so thankful tonight to know that Calvary is a level playing field. That when I come there, it doesn't matter what my last name is. When I come there, it doesn't matter who I belong to or who I, who is on the house with me. Cal- Calvary is a level playing field. I can come there, and the good news is, friend, you can go there and find a level playing field. It is common ground. At the foot of the cross, there is nothing that separates one person from another. It doesn't matter where you live, what you drive, what you wear, or where you work. It doesn't matter. It's just a level playing field, common ground. The sacrifice that happened on Calvary allows the blood to flow to every believer, and I'm thankful for that. And so consequently, Calvary, at Calvary, Calvary's purpose created a new race of people. Are you ready to hear it tonight? They're called the redeemed, and that is where we are tonight. I'm glad for a new race of people, the redeemed people of God. And so God loves people. Another thing that God loves is sinners. The old saying is true, God hates the sinner. God loves the sinner rather, but and hates but hates the sin. And so that's what we must understand and recognize that God does not embrace sin, but he does embrace the sinner. It's important for us to realize that God has the ability to differentiate between those two things. And so we got to press in to allow God to develop that in us. I want to be able to differentiate between those things. I want to know how to embrace one without the other. The scripture says in Romans 5 and 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. I promise you, friend, no matter where you see yourself or what you think your reflection of yesterday may be, we were all ungodly. Paul gives a a list, a very, very dirty laundry list. And then he says, and such were some of you. And so we need to climb down off of our pedestal of self-righteousness and realize that had it not been for the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking to people tonight who may have never had a cigarette between their fingers or alcohol to go through their lips. Amen. I'm telling you, it doesn't, it doesn't take that to make you ugly. We were born into this world ungodly. We were born into this world without hope. But I'm thankful for the hope that God has brought to my life. Amen. So I must pray. Lord, help me develop that same love, that same passion, and understand the lostness of men understand the lostness of men. And so sin should not keep us from reaching out. As a matter of fact, sin should draw us to. Jesus never asked anyone. You you can find no place in Scripture where the Lord ever asked anyone to be righteous before he would ever love them or help them. I've said it a thousand times, so I'll make it a thousand and one, that you don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. I've, I've met one too many people who told me I would love to come to church, but I just don't feel worthy. I just don't feel like I would fit in. I just don't feel like I can. I've had people tell me I'd love to come, but I just don't have this to wear or that to wear. I want to tell you that I rear back and look them in the eye and say, come just as you are, just as you are, because we've got a much better chance of winning them from them that pew than we have from winning them from their living room. And so I say, come as you are. Amen. That's how the Lord approached people. I didn't say stay as you are. I just said come as you are. I, I can deal with anything as long as we're headed towards something. Amen. For example, if you think about the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ, he transformed the woman at the well while she was still living in adultery. Am I in the book? 
He reached out to lepers who were still in living in an obvious stigma in the society in which they live, but he still reached out to them. He healed the woman with the issue of blood, even though she would have been considered by the law ceremoniously unclean, but he still reached out to her. Amen. Allowed her to touch him and he can, and he conversed with her. He, when no one else would, went to the man of Gadara and touched him and delivered him and set him free by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The next time we find him, he's clothed and he's in his right mind. The lone one, the only soul to be reached in that city, but Jesus went there to reach out and touch him. And when nobody else would receive it, and he went on his merry way, he left one behind who had gladly heard his word. And so I want to develop a love for those that are still lost and undone and they're tied up and tangled up in sin. Why? Because Jesus loved people. He loved all people regardless of their spiritual condition. He obviously didn't leave them in that spiritual condition. I'm not implying that at all. But he loved them as they were. And so since we are filled with his spirit, then I believe that we should love just as indiscriminately as God loves. And I'm going to let Calvary take care of some things. Amen. If we can just get them coming to church. Amen. Don't discount what the power of the word can do. Don't discount what the power of the word can do. Don't discount the, what the power of the spirit can do during the worship service. You don't ever know what God's going to turn, amen, and unlock in somebody's life and open their eyes to see, hey, Paul, it happened to him on the way to Damascus. And if it can happen to Paul on the way to Damascus to kill Christians, it can happen to somebody sitting in our worship service and the scales can be lifted from their eyes. Yes, it can. And so I pray that sinners feel I pray always, I've said many times, not boastfully, but I have said many times, these, the ends of these pews should never rot because I have oiled them down through the years and anointed them and have prayed this prayer. Amen, I, I just buckle in because I pray for the seat you're sitting in right now. Saint and sinner alike, I pray for, I anoint both the ends of these pews and walk around. I say, Lord, I pray that whoever sits here, saint or sinner, will feel conviction when they walk in this house. Amen. Conviction is not just for the sinner, but if there's no conviction in the heart of the saints, there is not a standing chance of there being conviction in the heart of a sinner. And so well, I believe that saint and sinner alike are to feel the grip of conviction when the preaching of the word is going forth. Amen. If we create an atmosphere of conviction, then God can work on those that need to repent of their sins. And so I pray. I pray for them to feel conviction, not condemnation, but to feel con- conviction. But that's not all. that's not all I pray. While I'm standing at that pew, I pray, Lord, help them feel conviction, amen, while they're here. But I also want them to feel mercy. I also want them to feel compassion. I also want them to feel acceptance when they walk in this door. As a matter of fact, I've walked across not alone, single-handedly, but we have walked across the yard of this church house and say, Lord, when people drive by and when they pull into the parking lot and when they grab hold of the front door and walk in, I pray, God, they feel safety. I pray, Lord, they feel in their heart this is a place I can heal. I pray, God, they feel in their spirit. This is somewhere I can come. This is safe here. It's safe here. And so I say, Lord, help us to fall in love with the things that you're in love with. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Can we do that? So I want, I want to extend to anyone the same love that was extended to me. I think I know, I'm sure I know what he was talking about. I've teased around about this through the years, but Brother Tumman said when we first left here and I first left here and moved down to Winter Haven, he said, you know, I started not to even fool with you. He didn't score real high on his Dale Carnegie course. But but I'm so glad he did fool with me. I'm glad that mercy was extended. I'm glad that compassion, I found a place that I could get my feet gathered up under me. And so I want to pray, Lord, that same thing that was given to me, just some room, just some room. That's all most people need, just a little room to let the blood do some work, just a little room to let Calvary's redemptive process do, do something in their heart. 
Paul had some pretty straightforward remarks along this line when he wrote in Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so I'm thankful to know that that Jesus loves sinners. Another thing the Lord loves, he loves the church. Amen. It's an interesting thing to note that in the premier passage concerning God's feelings for the church, here's how the Lord exemplified or, or exampled, excuse me, his love for the church. He gave the relationship of marriage as a type of his relationship to the church. And so when we read Ephesians 5, 22 through 32, this is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture that you could ever read. The passage that I am referring to tonight addresses one of the most intimate relationships that we could ever experience on earth. And it's talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. And so the verses speak of a wife submitting to the husband. And some people just check out right there and think that's all there is to it. But equally, equally in this passage of Scripture, we also find the other half of that equation is that the husband must honor the wife. And so there is submission on the behalf of the wife, but there is honor, honor on the, half, on the other half or behalf of the husband. And I'm going to just say this tonight because I'm on the husband side of this equation that submission is not difficult if there is honor. And honor is not difficult if there is submission. Amen. Is it still alright to use that word in the church today? Amen. I hope submission, I hope, I hope, I hope all the, the modern voices of our world has not stamped that voice out in the church. Amen. Submission is not difficult, men, if there is honor, if there is honor. And I will tell you, ladies, that honor is not difficult if there is submission. And so I help us to understand that it is a push-pull relationship. It is not 50-50. It is 100-100. And then, and some days it's 110 and 90. Some days you got to pull a little bit harder because somebody's not pulling a little hard. And let me just let me just get real. Let me get real, 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 really real, as real as I can get. Sometimes it's not days. Sometimes it's seasons. But this is not a marriage seminar, so I'll digress and move right along. Amen. But we miss a great place to get up and run the aisles and shout and swing on the chandeliers if they were still here. And so here we go. I heard that. I heard somebody say, bless him, Jesus. Amen. You, you know you're treading water when somebody says, bless him, Jesus. I'm, I'm teasing, Brother Randy. In this, in this text, we find the description of the incredible love that God has for the church. Incredible love. First of all, God loves the people in the church. Ephesians 5 and 25, husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives. Amen. How? How? You love like Christ loved the church. He loved so much, gave himself that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of, of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so how, how else except that he loved the church would he give himself so willingly to say that is no that is no price at all. I will gladly pay that because I love the church that while we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. God, help us to never forget that while we were in our sin, when there was no hope, hallelujah, when there was no hope, he made hope. And so I want to fall in love with the church. What other motivation but love could there be for the desire to have a church that is holy and without blemish and without spot or wrinkle? In order to be pleasing to God, then we must love people of the church because the church is not a foreign entity. The church is not just a physical building, although we'll talk about that in just a moment. But when the Lord was instructing the disciples concerning evangelism, I think it's important that we understand this. He informed them as to what one of the strongest 
indications of discipleship would be. I want you to lean in and listen to me now. The Bible says in John 13 and 34, and a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then verse 35 is the arresting agent of all arresting agents. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Amen. If you have love one to another. By this shall you know. He did not say that people would know by what sign was in the front yard. He did not say that people would know by this or by that. But he said whether or not you love that is going to be the telling agent of whether the world knows that you are really mine and I'm going to tell you that sometimes we put all of our hope and all of our indicators on the locks but that is not the treasure the lock on the door is not the treasure it's what's inside amen I'm not taking anything away from holiness I think by now you ought to know where I stand on even external holiness but I don't dress this way and then praise the lock I don't abstain from that and then praise the lock and we didn't come here tonight to worship the locks on the door we come here tonight to worship the treasure that is in this house and that treasure is Jesus Christ hallelujah hallelujah and he said by this shall all men know your mind that's how you treat one another not just how you treat one another to their face not just how you talk about somebody in the presence of others but it's what we talk about when nobody's listening but God it's what we're thinking about when nobody can hear our heart when nobody can see what's in our mind it's what we're praying about oh God help us that we would fall in love with the people in the church amen was all and whether or not they loved and then expressed that love to one another the epistle writers continued with this same common thread I'll just read portions of Romans 13 and 8 love one another for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law and so what can I do to please you today Lord love the people in the church what can I do to magnify you and exalt you today what can I do to be a witness to you today love men and women that are in the church I'm going to tell you it's a sad thing if we walk in the door and you sit over over here only because you're sitting here because you can't stand people over there amen or you can't speak you're trying to go out that door to avoid talking to somebody oh no 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 that's not a witness we need to love one another don't let the sun go down on our wrath if we got a problem when you get to the altar and you realize it he said leave your gift at the altar and go take care of that don't try to hammer it out over the next six weeks or eight weeks or a few months but I said we got to get a hold of this and make sure that everything is right why because the world is watching the world is watching and heaven is our audience as well verse Peter 1 see that you love one another with pure with a pure heart fervently see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently amen this love for one another should be again without bias it should be without prejudice we're not given liberty by God to selectively love Someone in the church or this one in the church or not that one in the church. And so we need to possess, I think, one of the signs of maturity as we grow in God is a natural love toward one another. Now, again, I said in my opening comments that we all have common things that bring us together and forge and form friendships. Some a little bit closer than others and it's over common interest and things of that nature. I'm not speaking of that. I'm talking about being able to love beyond those things. Being able to love one another. And so this is developed by understanding that if we are to love one another, then we got to get to know one another. Amen. If we're going to love one another, we have got to get to know one another. And so while I realize that we all have relationships that reach beyond the walls of the church, I just beg for your attention now. I want to be abundantly clear about a few things. Our closest friends, I'm talking about safety measures here now, our closest friends ought to be people in the church. Our clo- here's why, because our closest friends are most likely the people that are going to be influencing you. And so if you're just barely associated with people in the church, but you're bosom buddies with people outside of the church, it stands the reason that in time you're going to find yourself in trouble. I'm going to find myself in trouble. 
Now, I don't think the church should be a closed society where we have no friends outside of the church, but we need to ask ourselves some hard questions. We need to ask ourselves when we walk away from our best friends if they're not in the church, amen, do we feel more spiritual? Have they done anything to uplift us? Have they done anything to challenge us spiritually? A few months ago, my wife and I had the privilege to sit down with some friends in particular and spend a few days with them. And when we, were, when we drove off I, 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 for several miles, for probably 100 miles, I just kept talking about how encouraged I felt in the Lord and how strengthened I felt in the Lord. Had the privilege to be with the several ministers during that those few hours, those few days that we were together and, and how challenged I felt and how encouraged I felt. Now, I, I, I think one of the reasons that that was so underlined in my life and in her life is because just a few days before that, we had been with some people that drug us down about 12 feet under. Is that all right? I just kept having to check my own pulse. <laughs> I kept trying to tell myself, you can make it. You can do this. You're going to be all right. I'm not, I'm not embellishing this 1%. It was a miserable deal. And then, we, and then we had the privilege to sit down with somebody who's challenging talking about the kingdom of God, the work of God, talking about the bride of Christ, talking about what a great day it was to be living in and how alive. And I'm telling you, in all honesty before God, this is not just a sermon story, a preaching story. I'm telling you, I felt life just being breathed back into me. I felt like everything that had been taken out of me, everything that had been robbed and drained from me was being just breathed back into me. So I tell you that our closest friends ought to be somebody. I'm not talking about whose name's on the roll. I'm talking about somebody who's got a relationship with the altar. I'm not talking about somebody that's in the church just because they've been around for 50 years. I'm talking about somebody that doesn't have just a relationship with the church. But they got a relationship with the God of the church, the altar. Amen. They got fresh marks on their hands from the altar. Is this all right? Amen. I'm talking about loving the things that God loves. Loving the things that God loves. And so our best fellowship, our most encouraging times, ought to be with people in the church. Now, if people in the church are bringing you down, you need to do something about that. You need to pray for them. Don't condemn them. You need to pray for them, but you might need to make some room in your life. Let somebody else in there, amen, to resuscitate you a little bit. Amen. You don't need to, if you don't know someone very well, amen, the only way you're going to get, to, the only way you're going to fall in love with somebody is to get to know them. And so if you don't know somebody very well, take them out to eat or invite them over. Or if, if nothing else, just make a special effort when we have fellowship at the church to sit with them or hang with them, stand around them, not just go in the same crowd all the time, but get, get to know somebody and talk to them. You never know what you may realize. You never know what you may discover, a hidden treasure. And so our strongest defenses ought to be for and by those that are in the church. I want to say that again because I'm moving a little fast. But our strongest defenses ought to be for and it ought to be by those that are in the church. If somebody wants to talk about somebody that's a member of this church, another member of this church, they ought to stir up their righteous indignation. Say, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. You're not going to talk about them around me. Amen. You're not going to, you're not going to do that around me. And so our greatest defense is we ought to defend the church and we ought to be defended by the church. Amen. Now listen, I know when I'm preaching and when I'm goofing around and I'm not goofing around tonight. Amen. I'm telling you that our strongest defenses ought to be the church. Why? Because the Lord loves the church. He loves the church. Amen. I know about the problems. I know about all the ills. I know about the frailties. I may know a little bit more in some areas than you know. It's less in some other areas, but I'm going to tell you that while, if we're not careful, the church can get filled with acquaintances and not filled with friends. I don't want to just be acquainted with you, but I want to befriend you. I want to know you. Why? Because I want to fall in love with you. Why? Because Christ fell in love with you. And if he thinks you're good enough to love, amen, you're good enough to love for me as well praise God and so we love God more amen the more I know about him the more I understand about him the more I fall in love with him just yesterday I was listening to a message being preached and 
man was preaching about one a completely different thing and he read a passage of scripture. When he read that passage of scripture, just some crossed a thought crossed through my mind. I thought, wow. I never realized that about the Lord. Wow. And it just made me love him a little bit more. It just drove that tent stake down just a little bit deeper in my life. And so, by the same token, we'll love people in the church the more you get to know them. One more point here. Although people are, 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 are the living and vibrant part of the church, I do want to say that I believe that God also loves the literal church. And what I mean by that, this building was built and it was dedicated to the Lord to be a church. And so I believe the Lord, because of that, loves this building. I believe the Lord loves the absolute literal longitude and latitude of where we're standing and sitting here tonight. I mean, it's a place right here where ministry happens. Ministry's been happening right here tonight. I felt it go forth from me. I mean, I hadn't just been preaching to you. I know some maybe would just think I'd just been hollering at you, but I feel like something's been coming out of me, coming through me, amen, into you. And so this is a place where ministry happens. So I believe God's eye is on this building. I believe God's eye is on this brick and mortar. It's the same thing your house is made out out of. It may be the same thing your pump shed is made out of or your barn is made out of. But we said, Lord... When this building was finished, we said, Lord, we want your presence to abide here. Lord, we're dedicating this to you. Solomon said, Lord, if somebody can even get to this house and they sin, I want it to be so powerful that if they can just turn to this house. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, Lord, if they can just turn, if they can just turn toward this house, if God can have that kind of passion about that house, then God can have that kind of passion about this house. And I don't know how he did it, but the scripture says that Jonah, when he was in the belly of that well, he with seaweed wrapped around his head, somehow turned himself toward the house. Somehow he turned himself. And God said, I love that house so much, I'm gonna hear his prayer. Praise God. Let's clap our hands. How we behave in this house matters to God. How we behave toward this house, it matters to God. I have one more point if you can hang in there. God also loves judgment. Maybe I would phrase that differently and say that God loves righteous judgment. Now, I'm coming in for a landing, but please don't start gathering up your bags just yet. While God is a God of love, we must never forget that he is also a God of judgment. Actually, for God to be a loving God, he must be also a righteous judge. And so no parent, no parent can hope to raise a child with love alone. There must be firm yet fair discipline. Because without love and judgment working together, we'll never be acceptable to God. And you know, in the rearing of our, of our child and in the rearing of your child or children, I'm sure you found this to be true that the roles of judge and the role of love kind of vacillated between the two, thankfully. That when I wanted to be the judge, Sister Boyd wanted to love. And kind of like Moses and God, whenever she wanted to be the judge, I wanted to love. And so that kept the ship Rotted, and it kept him alive over 30 years. <laughs> I, remember, I remember one time through a, a not-so-savory moment of my teenage years, I was giving my mom and dad kind of a hard time, not proud of that at all. 
And uh, my dad come unglued one day. My dad was hard to my dad was hard to get irritated, but when he got irritated, you couldn't find the off switch. And so I remember I remember thinking that my mother will come to my aid. My mom was standing at the sink washing dishes, and I can remember mother will help me here. And then that's when I heard my mother say, "Kill him, Carl." <laughs> that's a true story. That is a true story. Kill him, Carl. I just want to thank you for grace tonight, Lord. <laughs> because if Carl and Betty Jean had had their way, I would be on this property tonight, but it would be a little bit north of here under one of those headstones. <laughs> so you need, you need, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you need that fair love and that discipline And so it's difficult sometimes to understand, but we really need to love the judgment of God. I know that's uncomfortable. And often our first response to God's judgment is is resistance. We are resistant because God's judgment is pointing out our error, our weakness. That's not a fun journey for anybody. So in all reality, we need to be thankful that God loves us enough to judge us and correct us. Proverbs 13, 24, we've quoted that many, many times. He that spareth the rod hateth the son. The message Bible says it this way, a refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Now think about that. And so he said, love your children by disciplining them. Because without righteous, the righteous judgment of God will die lost. And so being born again and serving God for years will never exempt us from doing wrong. We, We never get some some certificate where, okay, you made it, and, and now you're error-free. And so when we do wrong, we still need God to judge us, and we need God to correct us. We say, well, you can't do that. Amen. We need that righteous judgment of God. Now, I'm going to go to a familiar story to kind of bring all of this, perhaps, what I'm talking about here, into one bundle or package. David found this righteous judgment to be 100% true when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. In the process of God restoring David, David stopped just short of becoming a reprobate. Now we're going to just step real gingerly here, but I want you to make this last little bit of the journey with me. The word reprobate means literally and morally worthless, a castaway, rejected. That's a very serious thing. And so shockingly, David, David comes to the threshold of being a reprobate over this situation with Bathsheba. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it to you in Scripture and challenge your thoughts along this line, if I may. And so the first thing that God th- presents to us when we are in error is conviction. That's the feeling that we have in our heart when we know that what we're about to do or what we are doing is wrong. Amen. Now I'm going to tell you most literally that there have been things we've been about to do that the Spirit of the Lord touched our heart and we said, I don't need to be here. I don't need to do that. Or there are, have been things that we were doing. We were in the process of doing and all of a sudden we've been, I'll just use something pretty common, we've been in the course of a conversation that went too far left. That you know what I, in my heart I need I just need to hush. I don't I didn't feel like it was my job to jump up on the dining table and rebuke everybody, but I just felt like the spirit of God was telling me you need to hush. And so God just sends some conviction, sends some conviction our our way. And so David felt this when he walked onto the rooftop and looked at something he had no business looking at, but he overrode that conviction. And so then there is chastisement. Generally, chastisement comes from the Word of God, whether that's by reading the Word of God or the Word of God being preached to us or taught to us or many, many venues the Word can come our way. David knew that the law stated that adultery was sin and he knew that the law stated that it was displeasing to God. And so this is no secret. David knows exactly. I mean, I've, I've said just recently, you can't help what you see one time, but you can help the second glance and the third, and on and on and on. And so David may have innocently found himself 
in that particular situation, but he overrode that, and he chose to override the chastisement as well. And then there is open rebuke. When an individual rejects conviction and when we reject chastisement of God, then God in his mercy many times will send open rebuke. Now, let me just pause right here and tell you something. That's why you should never put a tether on the pulpit. Amen. The minute you start dictating what can and cannot be said from behind the pulpit is the moment that you have, you have cut the tie that God can send open rebuke your way. Amen. We need open rebuke. That's, we need open rebuke. You, you can stay seated if you'd like, but we still need open rebuke. We need the Spirit of God to touch us. That occurred when David was visited by who? Nathan the prophet. And what did Nathan do? Nathan the prophet pointed his finger at David and said, what, thou art the man. Now, I know that we're all on the same page up to this moment in our lives. Many, many times, God will also point to us and say, you're the man. You're the woman. You're the person. You're guilty. Surprisingly, surprisingly enough, although I truly believe that David repented, and I really believe that David was sorry, but something in his heart of hearts, deep down inside, did not still yield to the word of God. I say this for a reason, so stay with me, because there is judgment. So God sent conviction, he sent chastisement, he sent open rebuke, then he sent judgment. And so Nathan didn't just come along to say, hey, you you erred a little bit and you get back in line. Because if you read that rebuke, it was pretty stern. And then... Among the many things that Nathan said, that God said through Nathan to David about what would be the price of that, he looked at him in 2 Samuel 12 and 14, and the final part of the judgment was this the baby will die. Am I in the book? That was the final thing among many things that Nathan said is going to happen. The baby will die. Because sin always brings judgment. The product of David's sin would be that the child will lose its life. And the reason I say that David still did not accept the judgment of God is because of what we continue to read in that David fasted and prayed for seven days. Amen. I'm challenging your thoughts here now. God's challenging our thoughts here. Let me say it that way. Here is God's anointed trying to bargain his way out of God's judgment. If I pray long enough, if I miss enough meals, if I, if I lay myself bare, maybe God. No, 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 no. The word has already gone forth. Whatsoever man soweth that shall he reap. Now listen, David, we may think that harsh, but David failed to realize think, David failed to realize two things. God loved him too much not to judge him. I love you too much not to let you buy with this. You can't do, you can't do this. Secondly, if the baby had lived, it would have only been a constant reminder of David's sin. But he said, I love you too much. You can't get by with this, David. And so the final stop on this journey is reprobation. And so thank God that David stopped before a reprobate mind could overtake him. Now I have your undivided attention and I appreciate that. And here's why I say what I'm saying. When they told him, he saw them whispering among themselves. And he perceived that the baby had died. But when they confirmed that the child was dead, then is when David accepted God's word. And he got up and he washed himself and he changed his clothes. Amen. What did that symbolize? It symbolized I'm starting over, God. But not until that moment in his heart was David convinced that what God said was true. Amen. Let's stand. Musicians, you can stay where you are if you'd like. He could have chosen to be bitter because of the judgment of God, but David chose to worship. It was after this that David wrote the 57th Psalm. 
It's a psalm of repentance and thankfulness for the judgment of God. Yes, for the, you love me enough to correct me. Amen. If you ever find yourself being judged by God, remember this. God loves you too much to let it be any other way. If you have already overridden conviction, if you've already overridden chastisement, if you have already overridden open rebuke, I want to tell you that you're just one step away, sir. You're one step away, ma'am. Surely this is not too much on a Wednesday night, is it? We're one step away. That's why I'm telling you that church is a serious thing. This is not a social thing. This is not, it's not just where we come to hooting howdy with one another because you see what's happening here tonight is that is that the mercy of God is pulling us closer or the judgment of God amen we're allowing that to build a wall between us and God I want God's mercy to pull me closer I want his judgment to pull me closer I don't want to lay another brick between me and the spirit of God amen David you were one step away sir from God washing his hands of you but I'm going to tell you, when David got up and he started pulling off them on dirty, he started wiping that earth off his head. God said, now, now I can do something with you, David. I know you've heard me say this before, but it so much bears repeating that here is the mercy of God in all of this. That the child died. What a constant, chronic reminder of his sin. But you see, in our failures, something good can be born. This child died. Uriah was buried. He did the right thing and he married Bathsheba. And then God turned around and blessed their home with Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live. What I'm telling you tonight is this, that if we'll handle our failures right, God can allow wisdom to be born in our lives. I learned something. I took something away from that. I'm going to pull this into my life, but I've got to let God do it. Amen. I feel the presence of the Lord. Praise God. I wonder, I wonder without music tonight. I wonder without singing. Amen. I, I, I know that we love that and enjoy that. But I wonder without that tonight. I wonder without somebody just kind of tickling our emotions. If we can from our heart. If we can just love the Lord with our voices. And let our voices be heard in this house tonight. Amen. To say, Lord, I love you. I love you so much that you have that you have loved me. You have loved me when I was unlovable. You loved me when I didn't know what to do. You loved me, God, when I could have been a ship that had run aground upon the rocks, but you loved me anyway. You loved me anyway. I want to fall in love, Lord, with the things that you love. I want to love people. I want to love sinners. I want to love the church, God. I want to love your word. I want I want to love your judgment. I want to love, God, the fact that you care enough to speak up and give a voice. Give a voice. Give a voice. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.